I'm SP from Better Podcasting, a show dedicated to help make your podcast better. And it is part of the Get a Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other insightful and wonderful geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You are listening to the Starling Tribune, a podcast dedicated to the Arrow TV show. I am the Green Arrow. The Green Arrow has entered through the front door. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, situations, and stories are the properties of Time Warner. I am the Oracle, and this is your Tribune. Welcome back to Earth 2's favorite and last newspaper, the Starling Tribune. I am the chief editor, SP, and your other reporters for this episode number 251 of the Starling Tribune are Chris. What I tell you, yachts suck. Yeah, Queen's Gambit mentioned again, but not mentioned. And Michelle. No one listens to the tech guy. No, especially since we don't have Felicity. I mean, really. I know, it was in the future, William and everything. But anyway, we'll talk about all that later. This podcast is recorded on Thursday, October 17th, 2019. Live on Live. That's right, and tonight we'll be discussing the final season of Arrow, the first episode of the final season, as well as news, interviews, articles, and announcements that have dropped in the past couple weeks that could, and let's be honest, will impact future episodes of Arrow, as well as the greater universe, including The Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, Black Lightning, Batwoman, and there's probably something I'm missing, but you guys get the drift. It's going to impact everything. If you're new to the show, thank you for searching us out on the internet and joining us. After the show, you can check out our content at GunnaGeek.com. We can also find other geeky videos, podcasts, and articles. Woohoo! We made it! Season 8! Season 8 of Arrow! Michelle, go ahead and break down the episode where we're talking about tonight. Yes, this is indeed Season 8, Episode 1, called Starling City. It aired Tuesday, October 15, 2019. Directed by James Banford, who's directed one episode of Supergirl, but... 18 episodes of Arrow. That's awesome. Written by Beth Schwartz, the person in charge. She's written two episodes of Legends and 30 episodes of Arrow. And Mark Guggenheim, who's written 10 Legends and 18 episodes of Arrow. Wow. A lot of heavy hitters in this one. And by the way, James Banford didn't just direct 18 episodes of Arrow. He was the key stunt coordinator, basically, on the show from season one. So he's been around since the beginning we're going to talk about the stacked number of shows that occurred on the cw related to dc comics the week that this aired it was actually the second week for some of these shows so started off with batwoman with episode two the rabbit hole to a live rating of 1.45 million followed on sunday the 14th of october by supergirl's second episode of the fifth season stranger besides me to a live rating of 0.97 million. And then on Monday, the 15th of October, Black Lightning had their second episode of the third season, The Book of Occupation, Chapter 2, Maryam's Tabash. Tashbish? I apologize for mispronouncing that. Anyway, to a live rating of a 0.63. The one thing I will quickly say about Black Lightning this year is their comic book intro is definitely cool. If you haven't caught that, catch the first few minutes as they do the opening scene. You'll see what I mean. On Tuesday, the 16th of October, Flash aired the second episode of the sixth season, A Flash of the Lightning, to a live rating of 1.27 million. And following Flash, Arrow aired... The premiere episode of the final season, the eighth and final season, Starling City, the one that we're talking about tonight to a live rating of 0.84. Now, Chris, we talked beforehand. You are not current on any of the shows but Arrow, right? I'm what you call a slacker. Okay. But you have been exposed to the plot points via the interwebs. Yes, I have not been uh, stopping myself from seeing news articles, Twitter reactions, and I might have read the recap of uh, Arrow before I actually finished watching it because I wasn't sure I was going to make it because dinner was running late that we were making. So I have spoiled myself already this season. 
other than your admission right here, right now on Arrow, because that's the first time Michelle and I are hearing about it, I think everything else is a wise choice. We'll get to that in a second. Now, Michelle, you are, like me, are caught up with everything, right? Yes, I am. Okay. So let's talk briefly. Batwoman, the newest show on the block. We were exposed to Batwoman during the crossover last year. I have caution optimism about the future of this show it's okay it's engaging for me so far michelle what do you think i like that the twist was given to us right away so now we have this very interesting family conflict going on i don't want to spoil it for those who haven't had a chance to catch up again there's those free episodes on the cw app which they like to advertise Considering that some shows might have just like stretched that out for a while, I, I like that it's come out right away. Yeah, I did enjoy it. Now, I'm not a connoisseur of the Batwoman comics. I have read a little bit, and I consider this to be a little deviation from the Batwoman comics, and I'm okay with it. I think the show is doing just fine for what it is on the CW, my impression. So, listener, I would like to hear your impressions. Now, following Batwoman... You had Supergirl entering their second episode of the fifth season. I watched both the episodes. Michelle, we have not talked about this before. I'm just going to give you my impressions right now. This is one that if it wasn't for the crossover coming up, I wouldn't mind missing. Some of the themes are just grating on me a little bit, and especially the relationship with Lena and with Kara Danvers. And also the the whole big bad. I just it, it's it just seems like they're stretching, and then everything that's going on with Catco, I I'm just not engaged. Michelle, what do you think? Are am, am I off base here? No, in a way, when Callista Falkart left, I wish they would have just gotten Catco away because every time somebody new comes into Catco, I'm just like I miss her. She was just amazing that first season. I miss her a lot. I get that they're trying to do the whole journalism thing, but I think it's interesting what they're trying to do with Lena. They're trying to not make her seem as evil as Lex Luthor's. What she's trying to do, someone can actually sort of do a moral argument for. But I understand there's just moments where it's just, again, with this, I want it to be. A little bit lighter, a little bit just something. It's like, I don't want to quit it yet, but yeah. I would prefer not to feel forced to watch. I, I do. I feel forced to watch it because I want to see what's up with the characters as they go into the crossover. Now, next show was Black Lightning. It's not a bad show by any means, but I kind of feel like they're a little bit of the jump the shark and I will equate it to a show that I watched way back when I was a teenager called Warrior of the Worlds. If you ever actually grab this show, it's terrible to watch because it just doesn't translate. The CGI doesn't translate or anything. It was a show, I believe, in the early 80s or late 70s. I can't remember the year that it came out. But in their second season, or maybe the first, the second half of the first season, they completely went to a different show, and they, it just seemed like it was jumping the shark in today's terms. And I feel that way with Black Lightning. Once again, the characters are acting very well, and, and, and I don't have a problem with that. It's just the storyline I have an issue with. So what is your impressions on Black Lightning? I miss that family dynamic that it was in the first season. This, too, has gone very real life. I can understand. What got me this week is I do not like how Nissa, the oldest daughter, when she's Blackbird, there's a scene where she's trying to help these people leave and she has a deal and she's threatening them. Where did that character shift come from? I don't mind characters sort of, you know, growing and whether they go they start getting more aggressive or something. But for some reason, I don't know where that's coming from, from her. That's a moment where I'm not too sure if I want to stick with it, if they're just going to change character motivations willy-nilly just for plot. I'm not into that. And that's a show where I'm very much on defense about. 
I haven't watched Black Lightning, but is there something they might be trying to allude to, like later flashback that describes why this character might have changed, or has there been like a time gap between season two and three? Oh, well, then it just comes off really jarring. I see where your disconnect would be then. It's like, uh, I want to say a month has passed in between last season and this season. So there's not really a time jump there. And yeah, I, t- I completely understand what you're talking about with the uh, character jump in motivation and how the character acts on screen and everything. And the family dynamic is completely missing because they're all separated. And I think if they were together, I think it would be different. But I don't know. It's just a it's a stretch too much for me for the show. And I know they're not going to have an episode in the crossover, but because Black Lightning is in the crossover, I again, I feel compelled to know where the character is when the crossover happens. So they've got me there. I will probably stop watching the show after the crossover. So we'll see there. Next is The Flash. It's the final other show on CW right now because Legends of Tomorrow doesn't come on until January. Flash is interesting. I'm not put off by it, but it's not like 150% like I gotta watch this. I'd be fine watching this like a week delayed, two weeks delayed, something like that. But it seems so integrated because Oliver and Barry are so close and they're going to be 1v1 basically in the uh, crisis. I don't mean like fighting each other. I mean like they're brothers, they're superhero brothers. And I see needing to see where the flash is when crisis happens. And crisis is inherently a flash thing. It's not a arrow thing. So I'm following the storyline there. It was one that I was okay to watch. So if I was going to watch Batwoman on Sunday and then flash and arrow on Tuesday, I think I'd be fine with that. But what is your thoughts on flash? I'm enjoying flash. I think a lot more than you are. It sounds like the way iris and barry acted this week those two have really come into their relationship and the writing was really good i almost sort of teared up and such the way that they're allowing killer frost to have her own life the scene at the art museum well art show art exhibit the first one yeah that was classic that is just yes cisco is a little bit more cisco which is good I was afraid that he was going to be leaving the show and it looks like he's staying. So that makes me happy. I'm liking it. Divney's not as in it. He's actually been more of like a supporting character. We're kind of getting a little bit back to a little bit more Team Flash. I like it. I really like this week's episode. I think Flash is, is really good. I like it a lot. I did like the addition of the additional... The citizen character, basically, for for right now, that's what we'll call her, right? Because she's an intern working at the citizen. I did enjoy that. I enjoyed how the whole team came together. And I do enjoy how the team is isolated. It's it's a narrower set of characters for Flash. And I think they do well when they're narrowing down to their core team, which I think is what they've done here. Of course, we're going to see more characters roll in, especially as we roll into crisis as we saw this week with jay garrick from earth three right earth three jay garrick yes yeah so that was i thought pretty cool rolling those characters in and i guess you mentioned you were enjoying it a lot more than me probably but that's probably because i watched it like all in a couple of days and it was squashed in with everything else and i was like eh. so we'll see as the weeks go by so, Chris, sir, Arrow, is it worth it? I have liked what we have seen of season eight so far. We're one episode in, so it's not really like it's a great sample size, but I've enjoyed it. You know, anytime they're going to have uh, James Banford directing, we're going to get some cool fights and we're going to have fun with it. And uh, this episode, I think the best way to put it is it was quite the mind trip, and I enjoyed that. We're going to talk about it in a second. So, Michelle, let's get into the episode. Let's talk about the overall theme and equate it to the actual title of the episode, which is Starling City. Well, we actually get to sort of relive the first few episodes of season one. We get Oliver running, which I have missed Oliver running in the season premiere. So we get him running again. And at first you think it might be like some sort of flashback, but then the island's a little bit different. And then when he comes back, 
there's more, you know, we see Moira and we realize this isn't a flashback. This is him there in Starling City. And we slowly learn that there's Tommy and Moira and Merlin Orc together. And then it just sort of realizes this is the Starling City of Earth 2, where we're supposed to be, which I don't know if we are anymore, which we're going to talk about. Yeah, so we're back to Starling Cities, that season one era. It was interesting because the first thing that I noticed that was different, and I don't know if they matched the scenes one for one, but I think they did recreate the scenes of Oliver getting rescued by the fishing boat. And the first thing that I saw that was different was the Batman mask on the pole instead of the Deathstroke mask. So, Chris, what did you think about that? That was cool. I mean, we knew we were going to get Batman references coming into Crisis because we have a Batwoman show. We knew we also knew Kevin Conroy is cast to play Bruce Wayne. And, you know, this isn't the only Batman reference they give in this episode. So they're leaning hard into the Bat mythos, it seems like. And I'm totally okay with that. One thing that hit everybody in their hearts was that unlike in Earth One, Thea Queen is dead. That hurt. 18th birthday, overdose on Vertigo. And it's just because he they actually say he's been gone for 12 years. So on remember when we learned from Black Siren, Oliver died on Earth 2 and Oliver hasn't been in her life. So here it is 12 years later because we find out that the monitor needs him to get something from Earth 2. So the logical way of bring him into this world without really mucking up its timeline so to say is to actually have him get rescued from that island that was an interesting way to go he's like i didn't choose to be only on you the monitor placed me there and i came here from there and also we learned that walter has left and that merlin malcolm has married moira tommy and oliver are actually brothers yeah, I mean, that's that's a nice transition for them. They've always talked about that relationship as if they were all but brothers in everything but blood. Of course, we also have that same relationship with Diggle and Oliver, but it's good to see. It was also good to see Tommy back, and he was rocking quite the nice beard. I approved of his beard game this week. It was solid. Didn't he wear a beard the last time he was on the show? The Hallucination one, I believe, had a beard as well. Yeah. Yes. Beard game on point. <laughs> game respects game okay that's all i'm saying well take away it's october so the beard's back guys all right so michelle where do you want to go from here i just want to briefly touch on the future timeline i don't really want to talk about it a lot because it really did not impress me that much i mean we get william acting as overwatch and we have that one mission it seems like deathstroke's gang is trying to take over we meet jj which we've talked about over the summer through news and then they have this one mission, it kind of fails, and then Mia's all like, well, now we're going to do it my way. And I'm just like, girl, please, you've been an arrow for like, what, 10 minutes, and now you're going to pretend like you act like you've done everything all the time, even though you've got Zoe, who's been working with the Canaries for like, how long? She does have her father's arrogance. Yeah, but... He admitted that he wasn't always right in this episode, too. <laughs> the one thing that got me with the flash forwards, I mean, I actually enjoyed their continued story forward. But the one thing that gets me is that we have this crisis in front of us. And if you watched all the shows with Flash and Arrow, it's there that Oliver and Barry are supposed to die on December 10th, 2019. Yet we have this future, but yet in crisis, the future may or may not exist. So it's like, Spoilers. It's one thing I'm grappling with, and I don't know how Arrow can do it any differently, yet I'm spoiled. I just wish they weren't backdoor piloting a new show with the Flash Forward stuff because it was not my most favorite of things last season, and this season to crib a, sub, a post I saw on the official, not the official, but on the Arrow subreddit over there, uh, the future scenes are my moment to go take my bathroom break or go get my snack break because I was bored. I don't know these characters near as well, and this is the final season of Arrow. I want my focus on Oliver, on Diggle, on the people that we've seen over eight seasons, not the people that were in half a season of season seven. Yes, I understand they're tying the story and they want to kick off the new series, things like that, but I just don't 
care yet. And I'm probably not the only one, but the subreddit is very vocal in some regards to that. So hopefully that story gets more interesting because as it is right now, I look at that and go, well, we'll see what if that survives crisis. And that will determine whether I actually care about the spinoff. Because right now, I don't even care about the spinoff. Aww. So therefore, I really want to talk about obviously the meat of it. I love how it's Oliver Green Arrow meeting up with this alternate hood and learn that it's Adrian Chase and in the lair, which Black Siren clearly says is mine. And Oliver, you know, like, what are you doing on my earth? I really loved we got Chase on the salmon ladder. Which that made me so happy. We got to return to the salmon ladder. Michelle was happy. We had the dark archer. We had some great fights. It was just, and then we had Diggle, actual Diggle come in and we had that car scene. That was my favorite point of the entire episode when Oliver leans over to try to escape the car and the, it's locked and Diggle said, what, you going to fool me a second time? So you know it's the real Diggle. Yes, it was one of those nice flashbacks callbacks to season one we had a few different ones like that i also enjoyed the one we had when we're skipping ahead a little bit but when tommy captures oliver and has him hung from the chains in the foundry or whatnot that's exactly like what malcolm merlin did to oliver in season one and he breaks out in a similar way which is he freaking scales these chains and then drops so that he can snap the pole that's on it that was a cool homage and semi flashback to what we'd seen in season one i'm kind of enjoying little Easter eggs or the little teasers they give us that tie into everyone who's been watching since the beginning. Be like, hey guys, remember these things you loved? Here's our future take on it, but with a little twist. So it's not like we're just ripping everything off, but we're making you go, I remember that. That's awesome. I like that. It makes me smile. Now, Michelle, you mentioned the shirtless salmon scene. Were you disappointed that it wasn't Stephen Amell? No, we got a salmon ladder scene. Okay. I would have been happy if it would have been somebody else. I mean, I just, I like the return of the salmon ladder. It was such a staple and especially the first two seasons, not only with like the whole shirtless thing, but just trying to figure out the physics of it. Like when you study any sort of like physics, the fact that you would have to know how the momentum would have to be. And then the hand eye coordination because they're lifting up and then over repeatedly so and then the way they're swinging and the way they have to swing and out and then catch it and so and and the physics of it i'm just like impressed with that's fair and the pectoral muscles i imagine you're impressed with as well and the physics (laughs) (laughs) no no i said you said physics i meant physicals (laughs) the physical traits (laughs) both both are good. I didn't realize how jacked uh, Josh Segarra was. He's pretty jacked. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he started lifting after the show or what, but yeah, he's definitely got it going on. Yeah. Where our little plot thing is the dwarf star particles, which we find out is stolen from Queen Merlin's Applied Sciences area. And I love how oliver's dark archer it has to be malcolm and find out it's tommy and that speech at the end it really shows just how much oliver has learned through everything that he has gone through all these years it was pretty impressive speech i was wondering if best schwartz wrote that or if mark guggenheim wrote that uh one of the two wrote it i i don't know who but whoever wrote it Really got where the character is today. And because of that, I'm, I'm just guessing it's Beth, but I'm not ruling out that it's Mark. You're probably right. I would, I would tend to agree just because she's writing and dealing with the current Oliver Queen. And we know that Mark's been busy with other projects and hasn't been taking quite as much of a lead role in Arrow the past couple seasons. And because of that, I, I really appreciated Beth as a showrunner. And we have since she took over really and thank you beth if you happen to be listening to this thank you very much for bringing us the great show and and bringing it to the level that it is today we we do appreciate it after the level that it had been not that they were doing a terrible job but beth definitely brought it back to the core of where we wanted it so can we go back to the dark star alloy that's a tongue twister real quick so why did he have to go to Earth 2 to get it? Why can't they just go see the legends on Earth 1, specifically one Raymond Palmer, who has a suit? It's not Dark Star. It's Dwarf Star Particle. 
I got it twisted in my own head then. Never mind, I retract my comment. I was fully wrong. You can send your hate mail to js at gunnageek.com and he will relay it to me. Thank you, everyone. (laughs) It's all good. I mean, there was so much. I liked how Dinah and Renee were just awful, awful people. Like, worse than, like, when they, you know, betrayed everybody. They were just awful, awful people. And that line, Oliver said, you know, on my earth, he had better teachers. I love that. Because they're just sprawled, right? They're sprawled at the at the mid-stairwell deck. And you're like, man, he took those two out really easily. And then she didn't have any canary powers or anything that I noticed. So I was like, wow, they just went down hard. And then he, he said, well, yeah, I, they had a better teacher at my earth. And I was like, oh, okay, I got it. They did the gag just for that. It was it a was good gag. Especially... Renee was the one who was constantly undermining Oliver, by the way, in the episode from behind the scenes. I was like, how appropriate, because he's done it twice before on Earth One. But you know what the problem was with Renee? Evil Renee wasn't constantly dropping hosses. Evil Renee should have been dropping hosses left and right. But that's how we know he's evil. I know. He's hossless when he's evil. I thought it was the goatee that gave away an evil guy. (laughs) <laughs> the mere Spock goatee, patent pending. It was also true on Futurama. And uh, Community. Yep. Exactly. There was so much. Chris, what else about the episode do you want to touch on? Oh, boy. Uh, the end is heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Oliver accepted the fact that he's got to leave, and he says his farewells, and then everything falls apart around him. And as everything's falling apart, he sees his mother, he sees Tommy. And you're just like, oh, this is designed to literally keep punching him in the stomach. Every step is worse for him. I, I felt so bad for him. I didn't want to go full into what happened at the end just in case we were saving that. But uh, Stephen Mel nailed it. He did a good job of just showing how Oliver is just beat up by what is happening around him. Emotionally, that is. Physically, he, he's fine. He's kicking butt just like normal. But um, there's an emotional toll that this episode takes on him in the end, I would imagine. He is trying to go about it on his own, and he's trying to isolate harm from coming to the people that are closest to him, and Diggle's having none of it. He's right there with him, and Oliver finally gets it that as much as I try to push you away or fool you or anything like that, you're going to keep coming back, so let's just do this together. Thank you very much, and it's going to be heartbreaking, but we'll do it together. And, of course, Diggle is thinking that maybe there's a way out of this which I'm not so sure there is, but we'll see what happens in the crisis and after the crisis of how the show goes forward or the spinoff goes forward without Oliver in it and how the universe goes on, the Arrowverse goes on without Oliver in it. Because that's what's going to happen. He's not coming back. He's got another show. I mean, he's he's already gone that way. He's out of the business here. Could he come back for cameos? Yeah. Could he come back for future crossovers? Sure. But he's not going to be around on a week to week basis in the CW universe. Before we get to the end here, I do want to talk about the fights because the fights were really well choreographed. We talked about Bam Bam directing and the fact that he's a great choreographer. The one scene amongst all of them that I want to make sure I talk about is the hallway fight scene at the end. Cause They tried a single take. You can tell they tried a single take with that hallway fight scene and they just couldn't get it in. There was a quick cut and there might have been a cut beforehand, but there was a quick cut when Oliver finally got the guy down on the ground and he was punching him. And then you could tell there was a quick cut there. So they didn't get the whole hallway seat in there. But kudos to Bam Bam for trying. Kudos. I mean, that was a cool scene. Yeah, that last fight with uh, Tommy was a good one. Had arrows. Catching arrows, swords, everything. Exploding arrows. And then before, it wasn't there... I can't remember where it was. I don't think it was in the last fight. Maybe it was. The arrow actually went in two as it hit the sword. That was the Deathstroke. Oh, the Deathstroke fight. Okay. Yeah, splitting um, Mia's arrow. So we did get a lot of fights in this one episode when you spread them out in the flash forward and the current stuff. So I think it was, was it the best fights that we've ever seen on Arrow. No, but it was good to see it back on TV. I'm really hoping there, there's a YouTube channel out there. It's called the Corridor Crew. They don't need a plug for me. They're far more 
advanced than we are, but they have a variety of different things where they like break down special effects, but they also have one where they work with a stuntman who's done a lot of stuff in the MCU, like he was the Punisher stunt double and a few other things where they actually go through and break down stunts and fight scenes and stuff like that. And they spend a lot of time on the Daredevil hallway scenes. I really hope they go back to this episode of Arrow and now the hallway scene, not as long as what we had in Daredevil. I would love to see them break this down and be like, here's how they pulled off this shot. Here's how they snuck in, sneaking a stunt person in and getting the actor out because they do a great job of breaking that down in some really awesome fight scenes from TV series we've seen now, movies in the past and TV shows in the past. It's incredibly interesting. And I think this would be super rewarding if they got in on it too. The other fight that I wanted to talk about specifically was the Hood versus Green Arrow fight closer to the beginning of the episode when they were in uh, what was a Queen Merlin Industries or Merlin Queen Industries or whatever. And I was wondering because you couldn't tell they were completely hooded up. I was wondering if one of them happened to be Stephen Amell going against a stuntman. I have no idea. There's no way to tell. But I was just wondering. That would be cool if it was my headcanon is that headcanon is already accepted. There you go. And it was probably the, the, what's his name, the actor that plays Adrian Chase? Josh Cigar, I believe. Yeah, Josh Cigar. It was probably Josh Cigar, the stuff. <laughs> but <laughs> but it would be it would be great if it was actually Stephen Amell or Stephen Amell and Josh Cigar. So, yeah. Well, we actually have to come to the end. And what's really interesting, if you're watching The Flash at the same time, you're, you're kind of getting the primer of what's actually happening. And you're seeing it on Arrow. And what happens is Earth 2 starts, it gets destroyed. It starts getting vaporized. And, you know, Oliver just did that tearful goodbye to his mom. And all of a sudden, then it starts coming and they're screaming and she reaches out toward him. And it was like, oh my gosh, that's basically like the comic book. And, you know, they get Laurel out. So when they, they get Diggle, Diggle and Oliver and he gets Laurel out before earth two completely vaporizes yeah that's one thing i wanted to say is that i was surprised the only person they took with them was laurel because i was thinking that they would probably want to take adrian chase they might want to take tommy even though he's a criminal they might want to take him just because he's skilled and they could use him in future endeavors but they didn't neither of them made it it was just laurel well i don't think they would have had time to go back and get them. And I think Oliver's decision to try and do this on his own, plus Diggle, because Diggle wouldn't let him do it on his own, kind of holds true here. I don't think he was thinking of recruiting Laurel because she's working to save her Earth alongside Adrian Chase. I imagine if they had time and knew that the Earth was collapsing around them, they might have been like, hey, let's take some more people with us. Let's build our own superhero team to go and do these tasks for the Monitor. But who knows? We might see some of these folks again. Maybe there was a Legends of Tomorrow group on Earth 2 that's time traveling around somewhere that somehow went back in time before the Earth got destroyed. Anything's possible. It's comics, guys. Anything can happen. I kind of want to see that Adrian Chase again. Weird voice and all, because he did give him a very different sounding voice than what we saw when he was the big bad. And not only that, but he was skilled, man. He was... Oh, yeah, he was a badass. Oliver, Diggle, and and uh, Felicity all in one. He was OTA by himself. Yeah, he was. <laughs> but if you've read the comic, which I don't know if either of you have read it, I have. It's very long, and I have to admit, there's a whole bunch of characters in it that I don't know, and it's full of a bunch of white characters with blonde hair, so it makes it very difficult to tell them apart. But it's very much going along the storyline of Earth being destroyed all over with this whole antimatter and all that type of stuff. So if you watch this week's Flash, Jake Garrick does a nice little sort of like, he actually has like a drawing and a little thing about an algorithm and how he's tracking everything. So it's like you see the picture and you get the explanation from Jake Garrick on Flash and then you actually see it in action on Arrow. Well, you also see it in when Barry runs into the future, you see the same effect in Flash. So it's not happening currently in Flash, but you see what is going to happen to Earth One in December. So if you're watching all the shows, you're not taken by surprise by what's happening in Earth Two. And honestly, you're not really taken by surprise on what's happening in Earth Two because the monitor has been pretty explicit on on what's going on in all the shows that he's been in. 
but you don't know that it's antimatter. You, you don't know that everything's being destroyed by this wall of antimatter that Barry had problems running around. So, yeah, I think it's, a, I guess, a minor fail, I guess, because you're not getting the full momentum of it. And if you're watching this later, if you're like streaming the show later and you haven't seen The Flash, you miss some of this as well. It's like the crossover when they both got married on not their show, right? So I will be very curious as to how they go forward with this crisis in all the shows, because eventually it's going to affect all the shows. So are they going to get to the end and are they just going to grab Kara from her earth and bring her on over? Or is the crisis going to affect her earth at some point in time? And then she's going to know to go to earth one or something. Same with uh, black lightning, whatever earth he's on. We don't know what earth he's on. And same with Batwoman. I don't know. It's all going to be interesting what happens with the future, but you brought up a great point. Unless you're watching flash, you don't know exactly what's happening. Okay. So as someone who's not watching flash right now, it was not jarring to me. In fact, I think it made it more shocking to me, this wave of energy coming in and just taking things out. I was like, Holy crap. And it makes it ominous. makes me going, what, what are they going to reveal about this later? in the arrow side of the house. Now I'm realizing had I been caught up on flash, I'd have a better understanding of what's going on. But as someone, like I mentioned who hadn't watched it yet, it's more of, Whoa, this is, this is kind of terrifying. I don't understand what this is. And it scares me a little bit. And how is a plain human man and Oliver queen going to defeat energy storm that is basically destroying an earth. I think it's kind of cool in that regard. I'm not saying you have to watch. I'm just saying, if you are watching, you're kind of getting, Mm -hmm. the bigger picture i think it brings forward a better understanding of why they're doing flash and arrow back to back on tuesdays because they can do this sort of stuff as long as they introduce it on flash first and then bring it over to arrow it's like watching a, a two-hour okay this is happening over in central city and this is what's happening over in star city but they're intertwined so I could get it. I could see it. And from the viewer standpoint, it makes it more meaningful to watch them back to back on Tuesdays. But or if you watch it on the CW app later on Wednesday, you can do that, too. But I do think it's worth watching at least so far Flash and Arrow back to staying current on both shows, because I think you're going to get more of this cross between them, even though they don't know that they're crossing. I think you're going to get more information crossing between the two. Well, but all we have to realize is that we're no longer Earth 2's favorite newspaper? No, we're on a uh, refugee camp in Earth 1 right now. We, we made it out. We got pulled over. Uh, Cisco was like, oh, my favorite newspaper on Earth 2. I need to have it over on Earth 1. So we're in a refugee camp. Cisco brought us over. I'm just glad we're not on Earth X right now. So refugee camp on Earth 1 sounds a lot better than being stuck on Earth X. Agreed. I don't like me them Nazis. No. Would it be great if the, would it be terrible actually if the Nazis were like one of the only armies left to fight back on this? Oh man. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. That'd be too much man in the high castle. If you haven't checked that out, it's entering into its fourth and last season. And yes, it's all about the Nazis and multiverse stuff and everything too. So if you're into multiverse stuff, check out man in the high castle, but it does have Nazis in it. Warning. Well, we're going to get more multiverse action in next week's Arrow, which is called Welcome to Hong Kong. It's season eight, episode two. It will air Tuesday, October 22nd, 2019. Oliver, John, Laurel, and Tatsu seek out an important person within the Monitor's plan. Connor has a heart-to-heart with his brother. Directed by Antonio Negret, written by Sarah Tarkoff and Joe Blankenship. Live from the Starling Tribune, Earth 2 Refugee Camp on Earth 1, it's the Weekly News Roundup with Chief News Anchor Michelle Ely. And now, Michelle Ely. Hey, we have two news items for you. The first one's going to be brought to you by Chris. So let's talk about what I subtly hinted at early on in the show and we saved for the end of it. Earth 2 done been blown up, guys. It's kind of a problem. We know the Flash had a lot to do with Earth 2, and evidently, according to CBR, Arrow and the writing team had to clear the destruction of Earth 2 with the writer's room. So what all happened here? Well, according to Beth Schwartz, we knew pretty fast when we started breaking the season as a whole that we wanted to start, you know, we don't have that many episodes big, and we wanted to introduce the upcoming crisis immediately because that is what the season is about and what Oliver is struggling with the entire time. 
Beth Schwartz explained that acknowledging that the show had approached the writers of The Flash for permission to destroy Earth 2, according to her, they were very gracious about it. So we know there's a lot of people we've met in The Flash that live on Earth 2. So the real question is, what happened to them? And right now, it's unknown if any Flash recurring characters like Harry Wells or Jesse Quick managed to survive Earth 2. But all we know that survived is your favorite newspaper right here. We survived. Not sure about anyone else. And we do know that according to Stephen Amell, Oliver witnessing the destruction of this alternate Earth is going to have a continuing and ongoing impact on him the rest of the season. And yeah, I imagine based off of what we saw at the end, it'd be kind of traumatic having to see your mother die again, see your best friend die again, and then the entire Earth die around you. Trauma. So Chris, you forgot your favorite character survived. Laurel. I love Laurel. She's the best. I want more Laurel on my TV. Yay! And as far as you know, other than us, she is the only survivor from Earth 2 right now. To be fair, I am enjoying how they... I I still don't necessarily buy the redemption arc of Black Siren through all of this. I mean, hardened criminal, all of that killed people, but now she's a hero. Whatever, set that aside. I'm kind of intrigued with what they're doing with her now. I'm trying to ignore my misgivings I had about the redemption and looking at what's been done with the character, specifically also the costume, which is very faithful to some Black Canary outfits we've seen in the comics. I'm intrigued with what's going on. The Laurel that I had the bigger problems with, if we go back in the back catalog of this show, was the one who assumed the role of Black Canary after being trained by a boxer for a week and was supposed to be seen as a legitimate threat to crime in Star City. You don't know how long she was slapping water. She didn't slap water. She slapped boxing bags. You don't know. Off camera, she could have been slapping water. But that tra- how would our boxer friend, whose name I don't remember from that season, have known that technique? Because it was something coming from Oliver's time on Lian Yu and from Yao Fei. I doubt he was trained by Yao Fei. Maybe Oliver told her at one point in time that's what he did to get so great. And she just pushed it by the side, but then was like, hey, this boxing thing ain't working out for me. I'm going to try slapping water and bingo. She's a superhero. But Oliver didn't want her fighting crime. So why would he share his crime fighting training techniques? Might have been before. It's possible, Chris. I'll allow it, even though there's only like a point zero 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 one percent chance of that being right. I disagree with your statistical analysis, but as long as you agree that there's a shot, then yeah, okay. There is a shot that is statistically unlikely and almost zero, but there is still enough that you can't call it zero. I disagree with that, but okay, there's a shot. Fair enough. Okay, now we know there's a shot. (laughs) We're going to move on to our last news item, which is casting news about Crisis on Infinite Earths. Another DC Comics icon will make their Arrowverse debut during the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. IGN can exclusively reveal that Detective Jim Corrigan, human host of the powerful cosmic entity known as the Spectre, will appear in the crossover. The CW has cast Stephen Lobo, who appeared on Continuum and Supernatural, as Jim Corrigan. The network isn't confirming whether the Spectre himself will appear, though given this character's role in the original Crisis on Infinite Earths comic, that seems a distinct possibility. In the comics, Corrigan is a mortal human bonded to the Spectre, a powerful supernatural Avenger. That bond is intended to give the so-called Spirit of Vengeance a conscience and a better perspective on mortal affairs. The two are among the many heroes who do battle with the Anti-Monitor during Crisis. So for those of you that didn't catch him on either Supernatural or Continuum, I caught him on Continuum. He was this this guy that always seemed to survive in the face of everything going bad around. He would make deals. He, he wasn't incredibly skilled, although he did have hacking skills, but he wasn't like a, an operator, so to speak, but he survived. And it, it was an interesting character to watch. And he had this special relationship, so to speak, with the main character in Continuum. I did not get a chance to watch him in Supernatural. So if you happen to have any Supernatural experience with Steven Lobo, I would be interested to hear about that. Everyone's in this damn crossover is what it's coming down to here. I was never expecting we were going to get the friggin' Spectre in here now. I mean, we've got, we've talked about it before, Clark Kent from Smallville, Lois Lane from Smallville. We've got the Spectre. We've got all sorts of things. There's rumors that Justin Hartley's been on set up in Vancouver and as Green Arrow, not confirmed by anyone. However, it was confirmed that Lucifer was on set in costume as Lucifer from the Netflix series. 
up there. They've confirmed Batman Bruce Wayne 1989 references where he's in the newspaper and Robert Gould is supposedly reprising his role. Who the hell else are they going to fit in here and how are they going to surprise me? Because right now, I'm just a figure everyone's fair game, so I can't be surprised anymore. For all we know, the Starling Tribune's going to show up in there as refugees from Earth too. If that happens, that'd be amazing. That'd be great. Beth, I, I know it's over with now, but if you could put in a graphic afterwards and the CGI, we'd appreciate it. Be pretty stellar. We'd love it. And that's all we have for the news. We do have some feedback this week. So thank you very much for everybody that gave us feedback. There was some conversation in our Discord server, and we also had an email. So Michelle, what was going on in Discord? Well, Randy said, I totally forgot that Earth 2 Laurel went back to Earth 2. I totally didn't pay attention to the ending of a few episodes of season seven. The <laughs> future team arrow sucked. Then it's still bad. Adrian Chase's hair was sexy. I have to admit, not bad. Yeah, not bad. Nice comment, Randy. And then we had yakodo.org. That's Jeremy from the Transmissions Podcast. Okay. Very satisfying premiere of Arrowlight last night. I enjoyed it a lot. And Stephen John Drew replied, totally agree, right from start to finish. I love the ending seconds. It was so good. Also, the Diggle car scene was fantastic moment. I enjoyed how that whole Diggle debut played out. It was great. So we talked about it before, but I'm just going to talk about it again. So you see Oliver looking at Diggle and he thinks it's the Diggle from Earth 2. And he's just smiling like, okay, this is the first time that I meet my best bud, my bro. And then come to find out it's actually this best bud and bro later on with the car scene. That was, it was, <laughs> it was the best moment for me in the entire episode. It was great. It, it was full of great episodes. Also, we had other comments in the Discord server. There's some that were spoiler tags, so you couldn't see them unless you, you clicked on them. We're not going to read them out right now, even though we totally spoiled the episode, but you can go into our discord server at gonnageek.com slash discord into the starling tribune channel and then join the chat of what's going on in the fall with the cwdc crisis and we'd love to talk about it and then we got an email from david who said first off i wanted to start by off by saying i am going to miss your podcast oh i look forward to your arrow recap app every week thank you a couple of thoughts. Am I the only one who notices that the Queen Mansion looked different? The foyer didn't look the same as it did in season one and two. Also, do you guys have any speculation as to what happened to Robert Queen on Earth 2? The last thing I remember was that he was the hood. I also know people hate the flash forwards, but I actually think they're building to a place where Oliver will end up in the future recruiting Mia and her team. Since the moderator told Felicity in the finale of season seven, believe me, the world will need her as well. And we've seen photos from on set. <laughs> I hope that's true. And I hope they do it in a way that makes it meaningful and makes it interesting, makes her absolutely necessary. That'd be good. Uh, working back a sec in regards to Robert Queen as the arrow, there was a comment, I believe I saw an interview with Mark Guggenheim that he said, who's to say there's only one man in a hood that's been running around. So we could potentially have two different hooded vigilantes. And I mean, we, do you know the hood was suggested to go by the name Green Arrow, right? Won't have the chance seeing as he got vaporized, but it would make a distinct difference between him and the uh, Robert Queen version. You know what? I would expect to see him in the crossover. You know, maybe he's another refugee. Maybe he was teaming up with Jesse Quick, you know, and then he got brought over the Robert Queen Green Arrow or hood or whatever. And yeah, even on Earth One, how many hoods have we had? You know, there was Roy... There was Diggle. There, you know, yeah, a lot. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> so there could have been more than one hood, uh, which is plausible, and and I could go with that. That'd be good. We didn't see Robert Queen's lair. We didn't see his his arrow cave, did we? I don't believe so. Yeah, but great question, David. Absolutely. I can't speak to the Queen Mansion unless I go back and run the tape from season one. To be honest, because. That mansion blurs into so many different things because it's also the uh, Luther Mansion in Smallville and things like that. So it's entirely possible that it was different, but I'm just so used to seeing it as multiple different things it didn't register for me. So I will try and go back and look at some early season one stuff and compare and see if I, I can notice something. You, you might have a better eye than me, though, David. In fact, I wager you probably did here. There was one moment where I swear Oliver was looking at the wall to see if there was cameras in the wall. Like there was at the end of season two, I, I swore that he was looking 
for the cameras in the Queen Mansion, but who knows? It's entirely possible. Do you guys have anything else for uh, that email? Thank you very much, David. That was an awesome email, and, and keep them coming in as the season goes on. We would love to keep talking about your take on the Arrow show. Well, guys, we've hit that special time. We're out of things to talk about on this episode of Arrow. It's been action-packed, but it is time for us to shut this thing down. So thank you to everyone over in the Geeks.Live chat room who watched the show live. And also thank you to everyone who catches the audio replays over at StarlingTribune.com or the YouTube uh, version that we post over at YouTube.com slash GunnaGeek. We love that you guys consume this show in whatever way you choose to. Also, I mentioned before, I'll mention it again. We do have a Discord server at guineageek.com slash Discord. Come in and join it. Both Chris and Michelle have been prolific in posting news stories for the entire DC universe, but specifically the Arrow show. So make sure that you're in there and you will get the latest news if you want an aggregator of some sort. And we do like posting in there and discussing the show with you. And remember, you can always catch us live as we record and join our live chat at www.geeks.live at 7.30 p.m. Eastern and 4.30 p.m. Pacific on Thursdays. We would love to hear from you. We're the Starly Tribune on Facebook and Instagram, at Starly Tribune on Twitter, and you can call us at 612-888-CAVE. That's 612-888-2283. Well, this brings us to the end of another great episode. Any last words before we sign off? At Stargate Pioneer. Hashtag denied car escape. At the Chris Farrell. Hashtag, where's my hoss, Renee? Where's my hoss? And I am at Michelle Ely signing off with hashtag Salmon Ladder Physics. Oracle, I think we're done here. This was the Starling Tribune. You can leave us feedback at gunnageek.com or check out our archive at starlingtribune.com. Visit gunnageek.com for more podcasts. Music by Kevin McLeod can be found at incompetech.com. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, stories, and situations are the property of Time Warner. No infringement is intended. We will see you for the next episode of CW's Arrow.